lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. We are back live and on demand, but not all that much in demand right here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. We're the show after Glenn. I am Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin and he is Aaron McIntyre. I got to tell you guys, as we get older, man, the years, they just fly by and, and stuff just sneaks up on you anymore, right? I mean, can you guys believe it's already monkeypox season? Can you believe this? I mean, we've still got our Ukraine decorations up. And it's already it's already monkeypox season. I mean, these things just our neuroses and our cultish obsessions they grow up so fast, Steve. Yeah, they do. I mean, this this monkeypox thing has really just it kind of just snuck up behind me. <laughs> Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox, which you can access by emailing the show. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You guys heard who's the Grand Marshal of the Monkey Pox Parade this year? In New York? Uh, everywhere. No. Uh, the, the global... Uh, the, is it Lindsey Graham? It is Lindsey Graham. Yeah, you absolutely. He is the Grand Marshal of the Monkey Pox Parade. Todd, your thoughts? So you can email the show, Steve Silent at... Silent vigil Steve, there. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook... Me, we parlor and gab. Follow me at Steve Day Show on Twitter and Getter. And then you can get clips of the show free to watch and free of censorship when you head over to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. And if I remember today, I might even post over on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace is where you can find us there on Truth Social, which I have to tell you when I do, I get a pretty big response. Now, I think we are only have like 5,000 followers there, but they are. A hearty bunch there on Truth Social. We we had them do the Ask Me Anything a couple of weeks ago, man. And it, it's almost like everybody that follows me over there asked us a question, right? So it's not a big group, but it is a very engaged one. So that's what you're looking for in this line of work. I mean, you don't want to be like the President of the United States and find out that half your followers are fake, right? So I'd rather have people engaged, even if it is a smaller number, because that engagement is key, is uh, is us engaging with you back and forth. Again, not and, and if there's ever a time that you want to engage in a back and forth, it of course is during monkeypox season. Coming up on the show here today, we will be joined at the bottom of the hour by friend of the program, Bob Vanderplotz. He wants to talk about your family, by the way. Really? I just haven't told you that yet because I just wow. wanted to spring it on you. But he wants to talk about your family and we'll let him do that. But I also want to get his take on something that I think is going to come up in Aaron's montage that happened in your home state of Wisconsin over the weekend. So we'll get into that at the bottom of the hour. They did a presidential straw poll there. Oh, I'm sa- I was saving that for tomorrow. I should have Were put you? that in today. Okay, yeah. with the convention delegates and a bit of a surprising result there. So we will get into that with Bob because we got to get, that's his MO, is presidential politics more than anything else. We got to get his take on that. And then we'll let him talk and, you know, heap all kinds of praise on your family after that. And then next hour, we're going to spend the entire hour trying to have as, as adult of, an, of a conversation as we possibly can, knowing going in, we don't really know a lot of facts on the ground. We kind of ran this down in the in the roundtable on Friday. I, I just went over how many stories that we were presented about Ukraine. And then the news came out later that just totally contradicted those stories. Now, 
I don't know, though, which news is fake. Was the original story fake? Is the news that contradicted it fake? Um, it's There's also a poll from a Democrat polling firm out today. Ukraine is the eighth most important issue. Eighth amongst even the voters from the next current thing. They're polling. Ukraine is eighth. Yet what kind of dis- drew me to having this conversation today uh, is a friend of mine and my old boss, Senator Ted Cruz. I know disappointed many of you by voting for the $40 billion for Ukraine last week. I did reach out and text Ted over the weekend to see if he wanted to join us for this. I didn't get a reply, so I'm sure he's busy. But we're not too busy to have a conversation about this. And I thought it was actually on his podcast with Michael Knowles that he kind of articulated what I think is the best argument. If there is a good argument for voting for for this, if there is one, he articulated what I think that is. Not saying I buy it, but since he's not here... We're going to look at his argument, and then I have some follow-up questions. What would I be asking if Ted were here? What questions do I think you want the answer to? Because I know a lot of you are very upset and disappointed by this vote. So what questions would you want answers to? I'm going to ask those questions next hour, and then we are going to discuss them. And we can discuss them from the framework of what we think Ted would say, or just what we think of those questions. And that will be the conversation that we will have next hour we're going to try to kind of in our town hall this week let's come now and reason together on ukraine but before we get to all of that of course let me remind you that spots are already filling up over at freedom project academy for the fall it is never too early to start planning out a better option for your kids to dunkirk the hell out of the government school system and one of the best that i know firsthand about is freedom project academy uh, i have known the people that i met the people that founded this school we were in the trenches together against common core a decade ago i even had my own son enrolled at freedom project academy for a couple of years as well so i've seen firsthand how well they have mastered online uh, accredited academy level learning if you want your child taught not what to think but how to think and mastery of subject matter that matters and not spirit of the age propaganda get a free information packet right now while there are still spots available for this fall at freedomforschool.com it's f-o-r by the way freedomforschool.com and now here is aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away what happened while we were away brought to you by she did it As we mentioned briefly on Friday's show, former Hillary Clinton campaign manager Robbie Mook testified as a witness in special counsel John Durham's trial of Michael Sussman, a lawyer accused of lying to the FBI. During his testimony, Mook revealed that Hillary Clinton personally heard and approved the plan to funnel phony claims about a Trump connection to a Russian bank to the press. In short, the Clinton campaign created the Trump-Russia bank allegation, fed it to a credulous press that failed to confirm the allegations but ran with them anyway, then promoted the story as if it was legitimate news. The campaign also delivered the claims to the FBI, giving journalists another excuse to portray the accusations as serious and perhaps true. The origin of the Trump-Russia collusion narrative was the biggest political scandal in this country until the 2020 election. Moving on, the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum began in Davos, Switzerland this week. Bond villain Klaus Schwab kicked things off. The future is not just happening. The future is built by us, and we have to reinforce our resilience against 
a new virus possibly or other risks which we have on the global agenda. American attendees at the annual meeting include Republican Congressman Daniel Muser, Republican Congresswoman Ann Wagner, Republican Congressman Daryl Issa, Republican Senator Deb Fischer, Republican Governor Eric Holcomb, Republican Governor Larry Hogan, Republican Congressman Michael McCall, Republican Senator Pat Toomey, and Republican Senator Roger Wicker. That list is courtesy of independent journalist Jordan Schachtel, writing at his substack, The Dossier. Over the weekend, Joe Biden was in South Korea where he consoled Americans facing pain at the pump. The batteries, batteries that we made at this new facility in Georgia are going to power cars without one drop of gasoline and increase security of our battery supply chains as well. That's going to serve to save families money at the pump because they can skip the pump altogether. A group of researchers at Columbia University in New York is calling on the National Institutes of Health and Congress for a, quote, full, independent, and transparent investigation of the origins of SARS-CoV-2. This comes on the heel of an outbreak of monkeypox in the West. Most of the current cases are being traced back to homosexual men who have engaged in sodomy. Here's Greg Gonsalves at the Yale Department of Public Health. Quote, the answer isn't to shut down all these parties, tell gay men to stop having sex at them or dancing in close proximity to each other. It won't work. It hasn't worked for HIV or other kinds of infectious disease outbreaks among gay men. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is, but lock everything down to save grandma. A 394-page independent report covering 20 years was released yesterday on the Southern Baptist Convention's handling of sexual abuse claims. Investigators with Guidepost Solutions interviewed 330 individuals collecting the stories of about two dozen survivors of sexual abuse. They found that the leaders of the executive committee of the denomination were, quote, singularly focused on avoiding liability for the SBC at the expense of transparency, accountability, and care for survivors. The report also noted that at one point, the SBC executive committee staff had a list of 585 possible abusers, but, quote, no action was ever taken to share these materials outside a small cadre of people or to take action to address the possibility that these accused individuals might continue in ministry in SBC churches, end quote. And finally, HBO's Bill Maher goes there on transgenderism. And finally, new rule of something about the human race is changing at a previously unprecedented rate. We have to at least discuss it. Broken down over time, the LGBT population of America seems to be roughly doubling every generation. According to a recent Gallup poll, less than 1% of Americans born before 1946, that's Joe Biden's generation, identify that way. 2.6% of boomers do, 4.2% of Gen X, 10.5% of millennials, and 20.8% of Gen Z. Which means if we follow this trajectory, we will all be gay in 2054. (laughs) I'm just saying that when things change this much, this fast, people are allowed to ask, what's up with that? All the babies are in the wrong bodies? Was there a mix-up at the plant, like with Cap'n Crunch's Oops All Berries? It's okay to ask questions about something that's very new and involves children. The answer can't always be that anyone from a marginalized community is automatically right, trump card, mic drop, end of discussion. Because we're literally experimenting on children. Maybe that's why Sweden and Finland have stopped giving puberty blockers to kids. 
because we just don't know much about the long-term effects. Although common sense should tell you that when you reverse the course of raging hormones, there's going to be problems. We do know it hinders the development of bone density, which is kind of important if you like having a skeleton. <laughs> Fertility and the ability to have an orgasm seem also to be affected. This isn't just a lifestyle decision, it's medical. Weighing trade-offs is not bigotry. Yes, part of the rise in LGBT numbers is from people feeling free enough to tell it to a pollster, and that's all to the good. But some of it is, it's trendy. Penis equals man, okay, boomer. If you attend a small dinner party of typically very liberal upper-income Angelinos, it is not uncommon to hear parents who each have a trans kid having a conversation about that. What are the odds of that happening in Youngstown, Ohio? If this spike in trans children is all natural, why is it regional? Either Ohio is shaming them or California is creating them. We can't admit that in certain enclaves there is some level of trendiness to the idea of being anything other than straight, then this is not a serious science-based discussion. It's a blow being struck in the culture wars using children as cannon fodder. And that's what happened while we were away. That line. Yowza. Um, let's get to Aaron's montage, shall we? Um, this is why it's key to be on the side of the truth. And to reject tribalism. Because Columbia University is absolutely one of the worst given over to the spirit of the age institutions in America. When the Marxists fled Germany, when the Frankfurt School fled Germany, and they dispersed throughout the rest of the world, the American entourage went where? Columbia University. Some of or among its most celebrated alums is an individual you all know, Barry Satoro, otherwise known as President Barack Obama. President Barack Obama. A term we've used a lot on the show over the years, the the Cloward and Piven term which is to purposefully destroy a system in order to force people and herd people into one centralized command authoritarian structure. Where did that originate? From two Columbia professors, married professors named Cloward and Piven. That was their strategy. They were open about it in the 60s, did TV interviews and everything. It wasn't something that they hid. They were declaring this. The Great Society wasn't going to go far enough. The dawn of the welfare state would not go far enough. So we had to overrun these systems from their infancy onward in order to herd people into one centralized command structure. You know, what we used to call communism in America. And yet here we are at Columbia University and in the National Academy of Sciences, 
which has lied about and overlooked how much sciencing over the last 26 months, other than all of it. And yet now, suddenly, these two entities merge together. And if you read this piece, and I have, you should read it. It makes some very specific allegations about how viruses of natural origins don't behave this way. How did they get the genetic sequencing for their vaccines so fast? It doesn't make any sense. Evolution doesn't move this fast. In many respects, what they're writing is an academic quantification of what Ethical Skeptic has been tweeting about for 26 months, looking at data. How I did it? Yes. Now, I don't know. You know, Rush used to call this accidental journalism in another context, accidental intellectual honesty. I don't know. Maybe it's just as simple as there's a sovereign God. He himself is the author and finisher of all truth. And eventually, therefore, because he is sovereign, the truth gets out, even if it comes from sources we would least expect. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But that's why I don't spend as much time on the show talking about sources of truth as much as we do the truth itself. Because that letter, with the exception of a lot of big words that I don't know, (laughs) the rest of that letter, I could have written that verbatim. Daniel could have written that verbatim. And now we sit here. Now, I don't agree with the premise of everything that Marr claims in his rebuke of gender madness. He is, after all, a self-professed libertine. But provided we we don't completely give ourselves over to the spirit of the age and retain some level of critical thinking, it doesn't mean we won't have dramatic disputes. It doesn't matter that it doesn't mean that they won't at times get heated. But if you're Todd and I's age or older, you remember a day in time when you'd have some very heated political disputes with people in the, in the neighborhood, and then you just all sit together rooting for your kids at the Little League game. Remember those days? We were those kids. Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore. And that's when your country begins to dissolve at a very subatomic level. And that's what you're watching transpire right now. So if you watch the full nine minutes, and it is nine minutes, we, we've all watched the whole thing. Mar deconstructs this over the course of nine minutes, all using argumentation from his own worldview, by the way. It's just he hasn't decided that conforming to whatever the spirit of the age, or he wouldn't call it that, of course. Or wokeism is probably the term he would use. Conforming to whatever wokeism conjures up next isn't a belief system that just has me belonging to the, you know, a different religious cult than all the other religious cults I've rejected as a libertine. That's how he would phrase it. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of the things he does in here is he goes after by name, a rainbow jihad journalist names him, calls him out by name. Her. Oh, sorry. Well, it was at the ACLU. person. Yes. Yeah. That's it. It's a her. Okay. I, is, is it a her identifying him or him identifying as a her? Uh, the former. Okay. 
Sorry. That's all right. Didn't mean that. No, uh, pronouns. Yeah. I, that's cool. I mean, this is this is unreal to watch. He's quoting Sweden and Finland, two of the most liberal countries in all of Europe. Two of the most secular. He's quoting articles from the Washington Post. Hey, if if post-mutilation, you can't achieve orgasm, then guess what else you're not going to achieve? Fertility. Because that those things kind of go hand in hand, right? Yeah. These are all arguments from his belief system. And he just uses that to devastatingly crush the spirit of the age. Now, I'm not out here to anoint him as our new hero. Although it does, it, it's beginning to seem, uh, my buddy Jason Whitlock, our colleague here, he, he predicted to me about six months ago that Mar would just go full-fledged red pill by the time this was all over, and I thought, I don't know if I can go that far. I texted him over the weekend. I'm like, dude, I think you might be right. He's at least where like a Dave Rubin was in 2017, 2018. He's at least there. Is that fair? I think he's a lot more like Christopher Hitchens. I could get that Dave too, Rubin. and that's I, I, I could. That's a that somewhere between. I'm not saying where Dave Rubin is right now. I'm saying where Dave Rubin was in 2017, 2018, maybe. So we're talking four or five years ago, and that's probably about where Christopher Hitchens was. Because I think he's applying his religious riff, yeah. which going after the one true God. Ultimately, you have to pick strong man. It doesn't really work, but. He's applying this now to a cult and it can and it will work against a false God. And I think we're seeing that right yes, now. I, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. In, in, in the age that the founding generation emerged from, Thomas Paine was the outlier from a worldview. You know where I'm going with this? Yeah. From a worldview standpoint, Thomas Paine was the that's outlier. That's a great pickup right there. That's, okay. Now, from our from the age in which we live, <laughs> yeah. From the age in which we live now, Thomas Paine is going to look like you know maybe the 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 the, the, Paul. the the black sheep of the Billy Graham family. Okay, oh, you know he hasn't totally left the reservation. He's got some unique ideas, you know. But God bless him. But wasn't it John Adams that called him like a filthy little atheist? Yes, or something yes, like that? yes. He came back from the French Revolution and wrote something about how we needed to adopt their ideas and showed it to Ben Franklin thinking that Ben as a fellow libertine would yeah. be the most likely and with his gravitas <laughs> would sign off on it. Okay. And Ben was like, burn this and don't ever publish it or let anybody ever see it. These ideas are the ruination of everything that we started with the revolution. That's a rebuke. That's not, this isn't the next step of an evolution. It's a devolution. Get rid of it. That's what Franklin told him. Okay. So for the age in which we live, Maybe that's who these guys are. It's this is just common sense. You know, he goes on to talk about if if we if we governed ourselves by the phases of children, everybody would be a cowboy or a princess. That's just common sense. It's just common sense. Now, the, re, the now all those things though that he said. The reason I texted Whitlock yesterday and I said you might turn out to be right about this. 
is the line, Aaron, that you closed with. This isn't science. It's just striking a blow for the culture war using your children as cannon fodder. That, that's what got my attention when I, after I watched this and I tweeted it out over the weekend. Because now we're, now we're going... Now we're, we're, we're not just Thomas Paine common sense, but we're making at least some proto-version of a, of a, a Benjamin Rush, Patrick Henry existential level point here. The kinds of points that I've never heard him make ever before. Something to that degree of existential in, 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 in its consequence. And do you know how close Bill Maher really is to having a Wilbur Wilberforce moment? He's right there at the graphic. He's, he's pointing to the babies and saying, like, they're really, they're all born in the wrong bodies? Correct. This is so odd. Well, then, if he just keeps going and that baby... Just being born in that hospital. How about a month ago when it's in the mother's womb? Just that, because obviously that topic is front and center with the courts. He's this close to figuring it all out. Pray for Bill Maher. Pray for him. This is, if, if we could bring it back into our own worldview. When you've heard me say, when you guys send me your paranoid notes, I think it'll stack the court. And I'm like, let's hope so. Let's hope they do that. What? And, and, and I think this is a unique temptation for Western Christianity, particularly here in the United States, because Western civilization is something that was created by the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church initiated the dawn of what became known as Christendom. And then, frankly, the Reformation is what brought it out of the Dark Ages in the Middle Ages, in the feudal, feudal era. Meaning what? That the two largest distinct traditional genres of Christianity are largely responsible for many of the presuppositions and premises that we have about, or we, we were born into in the West that we're abandoning now, of course, in real time, but it, it, at the very least inspired those things. And in the case of America, directly contributed. Like, that's why the pilgrims came here. Most of the 13 colonies were founded as official vestiges, uh, branches of a Christian denomination. And so because of that, we have a tendency, I think, to want to mask symptoms. And I get it. Because we got a good thing going here. Right? You have a good thing going here. And and, and there's no point in going through the risk of a chemo for a 1% you know, uh, or less danger of a cancer, right? You know, why, why put your body through something that radical for something that maybe a surgery or something else might treat? I, I understand we don't want the cure to be worth, worse than disease, but the calculus, and we have learned that lesson in the last 26 months, right? But the calculus can work the other way too, where we just bury stuff. And then when we just bury stuff, people are never really confronted with the truth truly of what's going on or who they are. Like, after she says yes... And you win the lottery and get the job promotion that you've always wanted is not typically the time you're like, you know what, man? I am a brutal sinner that needs to be saved. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That, that's not typically when those events occur, right? Not typically. No. When do those events typically occur? 
when you do the opposite, lose it. Yes. And she says, she's like, wow, you're a creepoid. No. Um, they're like, wow, you suck at your job. No promotion. And why are you still working here? And you blew all of your living on, on the lottery. So your wife and kids left you. That's now when you're like, you know, I might not be too good at this thing called life. There might be something wrong with me. Right. Yes. How much symptom masking have we done? Look at our pro-life arguments. Because we did not for decades promote the argument of when does life begin. They got away with all kinds of symptom masking. We start in the last seven or eight years passing legislation that defines when does a life begin, what is and isn't a life. And lo and behold, man, they're throwing tampons, chanting hail Satan, passing bills, you can kill babies out of the birth tube. You know what I'm saying? It's forced all this out into the open. I mean, if, if, if I would have told Totters and 10 years ago we were going to overturn Roe and Bill Maher would not do a meltdown, uh, you know, commentary about it or a red alert commentary about it on real time. Do you even know what he said about Roe v. Wade? I don't. No, you know why you don't? Because I don't I, either. Because he didn't do any of those things you just said. He didn't do that. Because it's not as easy to defend as it was four, five, six years ago. Right? This stuff all getting out in the open now is forcing a lot of people who were very far away from their creator and from the and from the values their country was created upon to t- start taking a long, hard look in the mirror of what they've been promoting and who they've been aligned with. It's time for us to stop masking the symptoms. Let the truth out. Let the truth have its way. More in a moment. We've got a new contender into the top tier for the Bill Bar flavor power ratings, guys. You have you haven't even said anything about that yet. I know, but uh, I just haven't had a chance to try them. I tried one as my after workout snack this morning: the brownie batter Bill Bar puffs. Oh my! Oh my! And if you are like me, you'll eat just about anything covered in chocolate. I mean, this is incredible how good these were. Uh, right now, it's right now it's a strong number three. Uh, it's going to take a lot to top chocolate chip cookie dough chunk. As you guys know, I'm like Elf, where and candy corns to me, chocolate chip cookie dough is a food group. Okay, number two though, the coconut uh, brownie chunk. This is right on its heels, man. I mean, the new brownie batter puffs. Now the puffs line. If you are into marshmallow flavored stuff, these are real marshmallows covered in chocolate. And they just use those as the means to deliver the protein. Instead, these new brownie batter protein puffs uh, from from Bilt Bar are incredible, incredible. And already, you know, we have very lofty standards where Bilt Bar is concerned around here. That's why, if you want to try it, do it now. Get fifteen percent off the greatest protein bar ever created when you go to built.com. B u i l t. Use the promo code Dace, my last name, to get fifteen percent off your first or. Your next, 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 next order. Uh, when you go to built.com, promo code DACE to get 15% off for Built Bar today. Let's bring in our good friend Bob Vanderplatz. Good to see you, brother. How are you? I'm doing really well. And I know that that's a commercial read for you, but I know you well enough to, to know when you really, really, really mean it. And I know you don't do commercials unless you really mean it. You're really passionate about I mean, this uh, stuff. Yeah, that, I could not believe <laughs> how good that was. 
uh, when I bit into that this morning. I was like, oh my. Yeah. Other than Where the coconut wine, I might be with you on some of that stuff. I'm not a coconut fan, but uh, I may have to try these the, days. Uh, you know what? If I were, you should try this. So flavor. after a bike ride, eat one of these. Absolutely. Before a bike ride, you won't eat one believe of these it. Guys. You won't believe This is the new thing you'll be smuggling into the movie theaters, okay? <laughs> for, for when you want a, uh, a candy, but it's a little bit better or a lot better health alternative and a, uh-huh. maybe even a little bit better tasting at the exact same time. This is incredible how good it is. I'm All looking right. forward to it. Two things I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, the first is something I wanted to ask you about. Then the second is something you want to talk about. Sure. All right. So state of Wisconsin held its GOP convention over the weekend. Now, for those that don't know, the convention typically with the delegates in most states is where the people most committed to the ideology are. Right? These are the people that live and breathe and eat this. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, they not, love this. Not, that's typically not where the hacks hang out. For example, that's why in Virginia, when they wanted a guy like Ken Cuccinelli to be their nominee and not another Mitt Romney clone, they got rid of the primary so Karl Rove couldn't jump a, you know, 20 million in and buy it. And they went to a nominating convention because the delegates would primarily be people that are the most activist about what the party is supposed to do. Right. So I think that is noteworthy here. Because this is also a state that Trump is only the second Republican to win since 1988. And the activists right now are more so MAGA people, right? You bet they are. They should be Trump people, okay? They held a presidential straw poll in Wisconsin over the weekend. Go ahead and put that back up there, Aaron. Here were the results. Ron DeSantis, 38%. Donald Trump, 32%. Nikki Haley at 7%. These results blew me away. Um, and I know people want to some want to say, well, you know, remember you were on Team Cruz, you guys won the primary. That's a primary. That's not the same as a convention. Mm-hmm. Not the same. The convention is going to be like a caucus. The most committed people are going to show up. And when you when you're the guy that's been pre- that was president of the United States, you know, most of those delegates, most of those people at those conventions all over the country are your people. Because you were the power broker of this operation for the last going on five years and probably still are, right? Mm-hmm. Your reaction to those numbers is a guy that, frankly, if we're being honest, most people know about you and what you do here because of your impact in presidential politics, right? So when you see those numbers, what, is that, what do those tell you? Well, is it an outlier, uh, isolated case? What do you think? No, I think it, first of all, I think it's concerning for President Trump if he wants to run again. Uh, if I talk to my peer in Wisconsin, Jelaine Appling, She would say that Wisconsin, by and large, is Trump country right now. Trump's endorsement means a lot. I mean, she looks at the base. So to see this base say, you know what, we're looking at DeSantis, and he gives us everything that Trump would give us, but not all of the baggage along with it. I think that's what they're saying. They're sending a message. Uh, We think DeSantis would still provide the bold and courageous leadership, but with the ability to win, where they think Trump, and I'm hearing that more and more and more, is that, but can he win? Is it just going to be the exhaustive state debating the 2020 election? And are people just kind of tired of it? They're done with it. They want to move on. I think this is an indicator of even the base is saying, maybe it's time we turn the page and move on with another one that's coming up the ranks in Ron DeSantis. So this is your home state. What's your reaction, Todd? Well, Wisconsin's this weird place where, you know, Tommy Thompson, how long did he hold court there in Wisconsin? I think four terms did he have? A very long time. Then Scott Walker and making its way through uh, multiple 
uh, recalls, but then it you know it swings all the way over to the current Tony Evers. So it's a bit uh, schizophrenic. I think I'd want to put my Steve Dace cap on. And I'd want to know, and I don't know if this is included in any way, but you always talk about mining down into the details of a poll. Like, what is what is the issue or issues mm-hmm. that distinguishes the Trump preference vote versus the DeSantis vote? Because that's, I think, what fundamentally mm-hmm. needs to be sorted out, perhaps beyond Trump cultism. Yeah. And, and Todd, I think for you, what you're saying there with Tommy Thompson and Scott Walker and the others— that's pretty much a, a general populist vote. And Wisconsin is. I mean, it's uh, off the charts in regards to who can predict it. But what Steve has brought up here, these are your activists. These are the people that are spending their whole Saturday going to a convention talking about party politics as it really, really matters to them. I think that's why, to me, without drilling down like you said what Steve would do, mining into it, is an indicator that is that base still going to be that loyal to Trump, or are they looking for somebody else? Oh, it feels to me like they're blinking SOS with their eyelids, like in a, like they're, they're trying to find any way to signal. Is there a way we yeah. can get out of this, get the same agenda without all the baggage, right? Yes. right? So this almost is more of a hopeful thing, right? Well, but if that, but if you're right about that, that's actually excellent news for Ron DeSantis because you want to be the candidate that people are projecting their hopes upon. The last two candidates standing in the Republican primary in 2016 were the two candidates that people were projecting their hopes on. Sure. Cruz and then to a greater degree, Trump. Barack Obama obviously got elected twice by being the candidate that people were projecting their hopes upon. You want to be that candidate because that is what demonstrates what your ceiling is as a candidate. So if I'm Ron DeSantis, if I'm going in and that is my floor... My floor, before I even dedicate myself to this process, before I even announce I'm even in this process, and I've still got a name ID deficit, even in a state like Wisconsin compared to Trump, and my floor is that at the very least I could compete with him, what is my ceiling then? You know what I'm saying? I mean, when people actually get a chance to meet me and I go full bore into the process, that's why that got my attention. Um, So let me speak into that a little bit about what is his ceiling. Because we've seen this rodeo before, too. Scott Walker, you brought him up. Scott Walker is going to be the heir apparent nominee in 2016. Walker put terrible people around him to convince him how to run for president. Mm -hmm. Rick Perry, remember Rick Perry in 2012? Mm -hmm. He steps on stage. He's going to be the nominee. Again, bad counsel. If I'm Ron DeSantis, if you want that floor to be your floor and your ceiling to be great upside, put the right people around you and respond to people. Even when you think, you know, I don't know if I want to waste my time with them. Make sure you are responsive. Otherwise, the fates of Scott Walker, Rick Perry's others lie before you. So I think his ceiling is great. But who he puts around himself right now, if yeah. he's really looking at this, Great point. is going to determine yep. his ceiling. Yeah. Whoever you've got around you in Florida, bring them with you. And don't pull a Walker or a Perry and think, well, now that I get out of my state is when I go hire all the national people to make me legit. Well, here's, here, here's that's what ruin those candidacies. Yeah. Here's yeah. the experts. Here's how you play the game. Right. And all of a sudden, matter of fact, uh, Tim Pawlenty said this. Remember Tim Pawlenty? Yeah. He was a shiny new object. Yeah. Pawlenty said to me, they're constantly, I needed to pay or just be one deviation below, say, like a Mitt Romney. He goes, in fact, I should have just been one deviation above a Rick Santorum in spending, and I might have been a nominee. Anyhow. Good stuff. So the other thing you wanted to talk about was Todd and his family, specifically his oldest daughter, Ainsley. Go ahead. Well, yeah, Ainsley Erzin, and I know you got Todd, so I don't know how much time you spend on that. 
But what a compelling story. And the reason she draws at my heartstrings a little bit, I, t- I tell my boys about Ainsley all the time, is Ainsley had to be, what, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, and I'm coming in here, we're doing a show at night. Mm-hmm. And she's in between soccer practices, track practices, doing homework out in the lobby there. Uh, I show her the refrigerator, give her refrigerator rights. <laughs> show her all the bad snacks are to where you're not going to be a great trackster <laughs> or a soccer player. This is the stuff Dace is eating during commercial breaks. Completely stay away from yeah. it. Uh, yes. These are not built bars. Yes. Uh, yeah, built better, not built better, <laughs> built bars. But, you know, and then seeing the conviction of her on a stage like this. Uh, I think one is a lot of times parents are looking to models. And Todd, I know you you and Jill aren't saying, hey, look at us. We're the model parents. But something went right. Something went right to say, you know, this is conviction that's passed on to our daughter. She's willing to use her platform to take a stand and still compete at the highest of levels. So when I see her winning an 800 or a 1500 or just about taking her team, you know, from that relay to winning and taking silver, you know, it's like, just praise God, you know, that she has seen a bigger picture that goes beyond soccer. It goes beyond, you know, my track accomplishments, but God's given me a platform for such a time as this. And to see her in all of her mannerisms or her responses to winning a class, class act. And so today, when parents are looking for models, I think Jesus is our model, right? But sometimes it helps to have that human inspiration of a Todd and a Jill and an Ainsley and a family that, you know what? They're trying to do it right. So I want to say congrats to you. Thank you for sharing Ainsley with us. And uh, we are a ministry that cheers her on, and we'll definitely keep her in our prayers as well. Humbling. I... You know, when all four of my daughters got uh, baptized, mm. I just uh, don't let me screw this up, God. She's yeah. yours. She's really ultimately not mine, and uh, I, I think that's a prayer that the uh, many of us as men have uh, prayed in this room uh, at some point as, as fathers. But Bob, we couldn't have. Uh, you know, when she went out uh, and stepped out to save girls' sports, uh, you know, again. I sp- we talk a lot on the show about me standing alone at school board meetings yeah. and she knows that. Um, but she, she's, she got so much help, uh, you know, from the governor to you, people who said, Oh no, 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 you're not, you're not standing alone. And that's why it was so important to so, here. I am Lord, send me, you have no idea where that can take you, mm. uh, in life individually, but you know where it's taken so many people and so many generations mm. before when they finally put down their shiny idols and said, I'm yours, Lord. And, um, she, I, she's been pretty easy girl, uh, to raise and she's got a warrior's heart. She's, yeah. Steve talks a lot about, uh, his oldest daughter having uh, the old man in him. Uh, Ainsley's just got some of the old man in it too. She can be salty when she wants to. And when she smells the BS, she says, I think it's time to do something about this. <laughs> well, what I loved about Ainsley, all the way back from the days of, again, me waiting to get on the show late at night. And uh, she's out in that lobby studying. Just her humble spirit, her humble demeanor. Uh, kind of like, you know, I know God's given me gifts, uh, but I, she didn't. She didn't walk around like I'm all that. 
And even after she has every right uh, track-wise in the world to walk around, like, you know, all that swagger, I'm all that. She doesn't walk around with I'm all that. And when she saw an opportunity, she wasn't looking for it, but when she saw an opportunity, you know, my voice needs to be heard here, she was willing to stand up and, and to seize that moment, seize that day. So we think there needs to be a lot more Ainsley's, and hopefully there's a lot of girls and boys uh, looking up to somebody who is willing to take a stand uh, with a pretty big platform. Well, in this culture, they're going to have the opportunity. Really, yeah. it's, it's just a simple matter of saying yes or no to it. How did she do this weekend at the state track meet? Uh, two state titles. So she's the back-to-back state champion in the uh, 800 meters and the 1500 meters. She set the state meet record, which is not the all-time best in Iowa, but the state meet record in the 1500 in Class 3A. And she's the national champion in the... Uh, 800 so she so already was the all-time leader in that so you didn't match that at the state meet but um it was pretty neat she got yeah. to take it all in she, she the last race she she said i i felt great and i kind of knew i had it halfway through on the 1500 but um she she went she, secretariat she <laughs> so you've seen it <laughs> yeah she she wanted to just kind of I felt so bad it, for the second place gal who was who also, was, by the way, is blowing the field away. Yeah. She might have, though, just it's, finished in comparison. I'm yeah. so glad you mentioned that because that girl, uh, Peyton Noe, is the cross country champion mm. in Iowa. She's the 3000 champion. She's from Ballard, is that right? She's from Ballard. Yeah. Her, her uh, father is a, is a fan of the show. Great people. I so, mean, she's destroying the field. Yeah. But, There's no one. This, I don't even know. I couldn't see the third place runner in the in the no, frame. And then, the, but the, then, but your daughter, that Ainsley just went secretariat at the end well so she wanted to just take the race in so she didn't go the whole race like she was racing for a pr she said i really got to like i said make sure you take it all in because yeah you're going to go on to cool stuff at arkansas but you never get to do this again and she said that last lap was just like pure joy but it's such a great point because somewhere in the middle of the 1500 and the 3000 across country is where those curl because i've seen that girl that ainsley just beat put Ainsley in the hurt longer once mm-hmm. the distances get bigger. And that's what's so special about that sport. You, there's all kinds of ways to celebrate human excellence and um, great family. Uh, it was a, and that meet, uh, we set an attendance record, uh, beautiful weather for the most part. Um, make your kids do this sport if they don't have another mm. one. It is, it is a way of get, there was a prayer circle again, just yeah. like last year before the 1500. It, it takes people as close to God as any sport I've, I've experienced. And the discipline it takes to compete at that level. And then you're trying to beat yourself, a personal best. Uh, even almost more so than the competition, I want to beat my personal best. It reminds me when you go back to, to Paul, I believe it's Second uh, Corinthians 9, where he says, you know, I beat my body, I make it my slave. Mm-hmm. And that's what I see with Ainsley, not just to win track accomplishments, but to keep my eye on the prize as well. So for what it's worth from here, uh, from our ministry, the family leader, and myself and Darla and our family, we want to say well done. Well, well done. Thank you for you and Steve. Every time I need to get away to watch her, you you said, go, go do it. That's life. Mm. Both of you, thank you for your blessings. Mm. You bet. Bob, we got to run. Thank you, man. <laughs> way to end. Nice yeah, pun. Do you like that? Every <laughs> now and then. <laughs> got to run. <laughs> every now and then I pull one out. Every now. Yeah. And then. It's just very few and far between. Uh, We will come back in hour two and try to see if it is possible to have a thinking man's conversation about Ukraine. We will do that here in just a few moments.
All right, back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. And all of you, let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. You can email us, Steve at SteveDace.com. Like us on Facebook, me, we, Parler, and Gab. Follow me on Twitter and Getter at Steve Dace Show. Look for us as well over on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace and get clips of the show over on rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. And for those of you who listen to the podcast, thank you. Please hit like, uh, follow, subscribe, whatever applies on your podcast platform. Leave us a five-star review as well. And we want to thank all of you that have done those things already. This part of the show brought to you by My Patriot Supply. We're now having to import emergency stashes of baby formula. Again, When will it be the next time that couldn't ever happen here happens anyway? We've seen a lot of that the last 26 months. Why not with the food supply? That's why you want to make sure you've got peace of mind with the three-month emergency food kit from our friends at My Patriot Supply that you can rely on them when food shortages hit. Don't pass up the chance to get the food you're going to need. These are in stock. They ship fast. You can even qualify for free shipping, three square meals a day, plus snacks and drinks, the 2,000 plus calories you need when you go to preparewithdace.com. Go there and you'll get it for $150 off. $150 off when you go to preparewithdace.com. These stay fresh for up to 25 years with proper storage at preparewithdace.com for $150 off. So this hour is when we do our Monday town hall. Most of the time it's an ask me anything, but every now and then there's a topic that I think we should do a deep dive on. And that is the case here this week. I think we should do a deep dive on Ukraine. And I, I made this decision after I saw this video from a friend of mine and my former boss, Senator Ted Cruz. Watch. Listen, Russia is a very real danger. Putin is a very real danger, but there's a bigger danger, and that's China. Communist China is watching this. She is watching this, as you remember, and I said this on the podcast. When Joe Biden surrendered to the Taliban and had the disastrous failure in Afghanistan, I said at the time the chances of Putin invading Ukraine have just risen tenfold. And I said the chances of China invading Taiwan have risen tenfold because they've looked at the man in the Oval Office. They've taken the measure of the man. Well, right now, she is watching what happens in Ukraine. And if Putin wins, and even more importantly, if Putin wins because America lost the stomach for supporting our allies, decided, you know what, even though the Ukrainians are heroically defeating the Russians, even while outmanned, little old grandmothers throwing Molotov cocktails, the Americans were so feckless, we said, sorry, we're cutting off your bullets and missiles. Good luck winning a war, you know, with no bullets. I think the chances of China invading Taiwan skyrocket dramatically. And you want to talk about profoundly dangerous. One of the reasons we don't want China to invade Taiwan, if they invade Taiwan, It gives communist China a stranglehold on semiconductors produced worldwide. Vast percentage of the semiconductors produced in the world are produced in Taiwan. It literally puts us in a position where we're dependent on China 
for essential electronics. And there are one of two outcomes in that. Either one, they sell us chips that they put spyware on to monitor everyone. or And that's the best case scenario. Best case scenario <laughs> is China now has spyware everywhere. Worst case scenario is they say, screw you. No more chips for you. Uh, you know, it's like the, the soup Nazi in Seinfeld. No soup for you. No chips for you. That is a terrible outcome. And I believe, look, she is watching this. At the outset of this Ukraine war, the Biden administration told Congress repeatedly, said this war is going to be over in two, three days. Russia is going to roll in, conquer Ukraine. It's all going to be over. Nothing, nothing to see here. Turned out the entire Biden admin was spectacularly wrong. Every day this war drags on. Every Russian casualty. Every dollar that the Russians pour down a rat hole in this war. A, hurts Russia and Putin, which is good for America. But B, I think, increases the deterrence on China of further military aggression. So I don't want America to project so much weakness that we invite China to be aggressive and invade our neighbors. And by the way, invite Venezuela to do the same thing, invite North Korea to do the same thing, invite Iran to do the same thing. There are a lot of bad guys in the world. So I thought that was by far the most persuadable argument I have heard for aligning ourselves with Zelensky in Ukraine opposite Russia actively mainly because I thought it was the only attempt at a persuadable argument that I have heard every other argument we've heard is just the next current thing or propaganda that gets debunked later on um I know the guy, that clip, by the way, is from Ted and his podcast that he does with Michael Knowles over at the Daily Wire. I think it's called The Verdict, so we want to give them credit for that. So uh, I know personally and professionally the guy making that case pretty well. And that's even privately what he looks and sounds like when he's really trying to convince you of something he really thinks. Now, we live in an era where you probably cannot be cynical enough. In fact, a friend of mine texted me this morning. His buddies over at Lockheed Martin will be very pleased. And I kind of chuckled. We should note that Texas does lead the nation in most defense spending from the DOD and from defense contractors of any state in the union. 80, the, the latest stats I could find was 2019. $83 billion was funneled through the state of Texas by various DOD and DOD contractor entities. So that would have been in the Trump era when we were de-escalating our mall copy and tendencies. Okay? So what are they now with the current regime in charge, right? Mm -hmm. So those numbers were from, were from 2019. I'm not saying that Ted Cruz is a superhuman and is is impervious to sin and is 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 just doesn't care at all about promoting a military industrial complex that funnels 83 billion dollars a year through the state that he represents in the US Senate. I'm not saying that. Okay? I am saying though 
that when he attempts to make the arguments he cares the most about publicly or privately, it does sound or look like that. Which is why I selected this clip and I selected him as the as kind of the foil for this conversation. And I did invite him on personally, I just never heard back. But the, because that's the only attempt I have seen anyone make, anyone. We've got Dan Crenshaw going with the 2004. We will we'll fight them over there or they'll fight them over here. They're, they're literally rolling that one out again from like 2004. Okay. This is the first attempt I've seen to make any form of a critical thinking argument. I'm not saying it's the, it's good or we should be persuaded by it, but it's the only attempt I've seen to try to reach me intellectually on this decision, as opposed to Zelensky propaganda uh, look, he's at the Grammys now, that, that stuff, which all that stuff, we should all reject out of hand because we know where it comes from and who promotes all that stuff. So it, so with that in mind, and with the senator, and, and now we should also say, though, when I worked for him, it was as a presidential candidate. And the conversations are much broader than the parochial interest of being a senator. You know what I'm saying? So like, I didn't work in his Senate office where we were like, hey, what's so-and-so we vote for or against this? What's this major interest in our backyard or home state going to think? We didn't have to, on a presidential campaign, we're not having those conversations. So I should note that as well, all right? But I know him pretty well, and I, I can just tell you, when he really believes in something, doesn't mean he's right, it looks and sounds like that. So I'm inclined to think that he actually thinks this is a compelling argument. What do we think? That's what I want to discuss. So, gentlemen, are we ready to go? Yeah. Let's start then with a very basic question. And and I'm just going to ask you guys, and we'll answer the questions that if Ted were here in person, we'd ask him. Okay? Except for this one. This one is specific to you guys. Do you find this to be what he just presented? Do you find it to be a persuasive argument in any way? Yes, it's the best argument. That doesn't mean it's a good argument, because I don't think there are any good arguments for sending $40 billion to Ukraine. Uh, at least, uh, uh, I think a few hundred million dollars of that is going to some sort of uh, great reset bank thing for rebuilding uh, and building back better. I, there's just no good good reason. I, I found find it um, persuasive, because I, as I said on Friday... I do think an invasion of Taiwan would, and I think Todd even agreed with me as well, would warrant military intervention. Because at that point, it's like, what's the point of even trying to, 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 to play ball with the Shycoms at this point if they're just going to screw us and they have the ability to basically get um, 21st century hegemony by controlling, as Cruz pointed out, the semiconductors? I do think that is uh, warranted. M- my problem with this argument, though is that I don't really, let me just put it this way. If you believe that sending $40 billion, this is the context that we're talking about. If you believe sending $40 billion in military aid or, or aid to Ukraine is enough to show strength to the Shycoms, um, why not just go full measure and make sure of it? Why not actually put troops on the ground full measure to make sure of it? Why not do that? 
Now, I happen to believe that you can probably go hands off and tell the NATO allies time for you to step up in Ukraine while also sending, you know, intervene militarily. Yeah, we're funding way more Um, of that war than any other EU member is or NATO member is, by the way. I I believe you don't have to go troops on the ground in Ukraine and you can actually go hands off and intervene in Taiwan. I, I believe those things. I don't think you have to show strength. But if this is the argument that we're trying to show strength, why not go full measure? So that is a that's a compelling counter there, I think, Todd. By the way, as of right now, the Russian as we're speaking right now, the Russian ruble is worth more on the exchanges than it was before Putin invaded. And of course, they're one of the largest oil exporting nations on earth, Russia is. And with the high cost of that commodity, Russia's pretty flush with cash right now. Given the given the value of its currency, and the value of its chief commodity, energy. So, if anything, we are boosting the Russian economy by prolonging this conflict. Um, I've often wondered as well, like Starbucks announced today that they're pulling out of Russia. Like, if you were Putin, if you were that kind of a megalomaniac, wouldn't you just send the troops in right now and take complete control of all of these entities that want to leave your country uh-huh. get a hold of all their intellectual property that you possibly could and just kick them out yourself and put russians under control why why build a new russian coffee megapolis when you can just confiscate you know go full chavez and just confiscate starbucks and yeah, he said, you guys want out you're out now and now we got a it's called russia bucks and uh a ruble bucks and we're gonna make all the exact same drinks and just charge even less for it for our people just a way of saying yeah. f you right so uh, I don't, other than clearly militarily, this has not gone to plan for Russia. I don't think, I think, I don't think we have to be insiders or have sources to surmise that Russia did not, Putin did not anticipate he'd be three months into this invasion. Fair? Probably fair, yeah. Probably fair. But by every other metric, economically, their country is better off than it was before it launched this invasion. So with that in mind, then to Aaron's point, Todd, and you can address it or have your own, you know, there's an analysis out today from a former spook who says, hey, you know, Putin's going to lose this war and then, you know, uh, he'll be out of power within a year. If that were to, if he, I've, I've said from the day that he launched this invasion, if he loses, he's out of power. This is a winner go home for him, right? Yeah. Well, you're sitting there with all of that cash and all of that value. That certainly increases your margin for error. And then you have to wonder if he does get scared that he might lose, what escalating efforts does he then deploy in that exchange? So that gets to Aaron's point. If you're going to do it, then why not just directly make sure that he could, that he's going to lose? Otherwise, we just do another 40 billion in a month and another 40 billion a month later while our economies get squeezed and the Russian economy grows. What, 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 what sense does that make? No, uh, I- I've heard of Vietnam, so there's that that that, that has this feeling uh, about this. And again, I was also a, a pro war in Iraq guy, uh, and I actually don't regret it. Had I been able to count on people going to war who actually understood what war is and how uh, you fight it, uh, but as we as with Vietnam. Uh, couldn't figure that one out. As with Iraq, we couldn't figure that one out. To, tried way too many ways to be too smart by half. And I get why that happened. All kinds of men get weak in the knees when it comes, you know, look at how long it took Lincoln uh, to uh, to find uh, his grant. 
but listen, I don't, I, I, just putting those troops on the ground is a level of insanity, partially because I know we here in the West want to, with all our ridiculous uh, bending and twisting and shaping of narratives these days, and you can't trust a damn one of them, uh, th- uh, what we say and think uh, about Russia. Uh, but th- there's a lot of people in this world that if they had to align themselves with Russia or with somebody in the West, they'd choose Russia. The, the, what? How is the credibility going right now in the West? Ted, Ted makes the argument. I don't find it compelling. Ted makes the argument that China will laugh at us if, it, it, and that'll be why they would go in because of how uh, we didn't know how to answer the bell on this. They're laughing at us for a hundred different reasons that have nothing to do with Russia-Ukraine war. We don't know what a gender is. Okay, they're laughing at us for that. Also. China is rather unstable itself right now. They're busy locking up their own citizens. This is not like they're all of one mind at the moment, ready to uh, charge into the great future and uh, begin their own uh, hegemony. I I, I don't think uh, that's the case. And coming back to Ukraine itself, Ukraine is not just an innocent victim. A lot of people there are, but same with Russia. As we said last week on two different occasions, Friday, and I can't remember if it was Thursday or Wednesday, which day, what the hell is going on in Ukraine? What kind of money laundering system is going on there? Why would we just assume that this is pure evil? This thing, people are painting this as this is the opening scene of Star Wars, Steve. It's the little galactic cruiser. It's not that. That's fantastic. I wanted to preface my comments with... Taking the way that Ted Cruz is describing this conflict in Ukraine at face value, because I don't believe any of it. Maybe he has access to information that we don't, but I don't believe much of anything that I see. I don't I don't believe the way that it's being portrayed is necessarily 100 percent true. All right, let's get to some follow up questions then. How many people you that, that voted the way Cruz did, do you think did so for the same reasons that Cruz articulated? Can you help me out with that? Because with my weekend, like, what was the vote? Only eleven people in this. Only eleven voted no. Okay, only eleven. Yeah, and the the ones who did, I know Rand Paul. Um, who? Um, it's a it's it's a very small group. It, I, Tom Cotton voted for predictable, it. Predictable, I guess, yeah, is yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So, our buddy Ron Johnson voted for it as well. Okay. So it's 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 a very very small group. Well, the an- the answer is very few people. Even if they would say the same thing as Ted Cruz, I trust Ted Cruz to this be an intellectually honest argument. I wouldn't take that to be the case. I would guess that Cotton's rationale is probably very similar. I would guess whether he would articulate the exact same way or not. But I I think I agree with you. That's a very small number because, you know, because otherwise this would have been the messaging all along, right? Didn't I, what's funny is before I saw this video, I kind of thought of this argument Friday during the roundtable when we were discussing this. Mm-hmm. I kind of just thought about it. You guys remember this live on the air? And I'm like, you know, and I said to Paul Alexander, who was our guest panelist on Friday, I'm like, if this was the ra- rationale for why they were doing this, wouldn't they have made this argument the entire time? This is the first time I've actually heard this argument is when Ted rolled out with it over the weekend. Because this has been, this would actually be the most compelling argument if there is one, if, if if a compelling argument exists, to me, this is the only chance at one, in my view. Next one. How much do you really believe China's decision to invade or not to invade Taiwan is tied to what happens in Ukraine 
or what America projects in Ukraine? See, I'm I'm not trying to be difficult here. Uh, I'm just rejecting the the premise of of the question. America, whether or not we put troops on the ground or send forty billion dollars to Ukraine, uh, America right now, as you've pointed out before, is not projecting strength. Spending forty billion dollars is not projecting strength. Putting boots on the ground is is not even projecting strength when you have a dementia patient leading yep. your country. So I don't think it really matters, Ukraine. I don't think Ukraine really matters right now. I think China is just looking and sizing us up holistically, and that's going to be that's going to be what they make their decision upon. I, I don't really think it depends much on what happens in Ukraine. Because ultimately, if if Ted does believe this, Todd, sincerely, then then he has to go all the way with it, then doesn't he? We have to go all the way. We can't afford. To, to, we can't afford to have a defeat there either because it shows weakness at any point. Putin walks away even with a ceasefire and gets extra, you know, um, gets those two territories there in the Baltic that, that he wants, to, that they want to turn it independent states, which just would become Russian satellites by, by virtue. Uh, then anything other than the outright defeat of Putin, if Ted is correct, then we have to be directly involved in the outright defeat of Putin. Do we not? I, I don't think so. For this reason and and first of all this is the question that anybody in ted's uh world you, you have to answer this question regardless of the gravity of the variable at hand you have the got, question that i'm asking you, you mean you've got to know yeah. what a russia win means for geopolitical stability you that's just what you have to do but listen this cuts both ways in terms of a like i said china looks psychologically unstable right now its own people are clearly uh, not uh, with uh, the leadership on several fronts. And also, e- economically speaking, it, it, if, if you know the 400-pound gorilla America is hitched its wagon to you, uh, you can kind of do what it's done economically. And, and, and you've talked about it with the debt and calling the note on it in the past. But this cuts both. If they decide to sever that, what happens to the debt? What happens to their own? Yeah, we may not get the... The tech, but listen, we've who's buying the, all their manufacturing? Where's yeah, that? Where's exactly. all that? Where, where so all those purchases coming from? They, it's yeah. we don't just have a sword of Damocles over our head; they have one over their head too. That's a great point. That's a great point. China, we'll, you're talking about? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. That's a great point. We'll come back here in a moment with more of uh, the follow-up questions to discuss on Ukraine. Right after we tell you about our friends at ExpressVPN, uh, using the internet without ExpressVPN—that's like walking your dog in public without having it on a leash. Most of the time, maybe you're going to be fine. But what if that one day your dog runs away or, or something even worse happens? Uh, you're going to wish that you had it on a leash, uh, especially when you can put your internet on a leash very simply. With ExpressVPN, every time you connect to an unencrypted network, whether that's restaurants, hotels, airports, online data is not secure. Any hacker on that same network can gain access and steal your personal data. But... With ExpressVPN, you will create a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet, so they can't do that, to the point it would take a hacker with a supercomputer and and over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. So easy to install, you can just do it with a click and about five minutes apiece on all your various devices. And right now, get three extra months for free at expressvpn.com slash Steve. Sign up for the year, they'll give you an extra three months for free at expressvpn.com slash Steve. Again, that's expressvpn. 
com slash Steve. All right, next question I want us to discuss. Would you describe Ukraine as a kleptocracy prior to the Putin invasion? And if so, then what is its specific strategic importance beyond what perceived message a successful Russian invasion would send other rogue regimes? Because here's, here's why I'm asking this. That's an entirely subjective analysis is what signal these other rogue regimes get. Because as, you, as you're pointing out, China's trying to put down an incursion that it's sparking right now in its most prop- prosperous uh, province of Shanghai. Okay. I mean, their economy is off to a sl- more sluggish start this year than our, our, than our, our own is. So they've got their own domestic problems. Mm-hmm. This is entirely subjective. It's just one game of poker. You don't really know what the other side's thinking because it's not like you're watching it on TV when you can see what hand they're holding. You know what I'm saying? We don't really know. That's entirely subjective. And it's also a bad game of poker, by the way. And I've heard you you play more than I do, but I've talked to people who play and how the the good ones when somebody in there in Vegas and somebody really doesn't know what they're doing and there's a sort of order to it. I mm-hmm. mean, and they just like they're just like you sense weakness blurting out yes. ridiculous bets that make no sense and it just throws everything off that reminds me of what's going on here it's like bad poker because i don't think china is is, is in a stable situation right now like what we faced with the soviet union in the 80s because there wasn't the the the, the back and forth of goods and services between the two countries as you just pointed out they were an iron curtain. They were isolated from the rest of the world and trying to absorb more parts of the world into a, their form of an isolation. There was not the sort of, of, of global economic back and forth recidivism like exists between us and China right now. No, so, it's, a, it's an economic mad. It's an economic mutually assured destruction. Agreed. So even if they wanted to do what, what Ted is claiming, they couldn't afford to do it right now any more than we could. Okay, that doesn't mean, by the way, we want to project weakness to 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 Beijing. We're not saying that we're pointing out the dangers, though, of this entirely subjective analysis. And so is there something else then? So let's move beyond the subjective analysis and trying to, you know, mind meld with Xi thousands of miles away. Okay, is there anything like objectively we can say Taiwan objectively has strategic importance that, that's objectively true, regardless of what our cur- current mm-hmm. relationship yes. with China is. Yep. That That's objectively true that it does. And he articulates mm-hmm. that, right? Okay. What is the objective importance of Ukraine then, aside from what would be the perception of Maduro and Xi and Khomeini? What's its objective importance to the average American? What is it? To the average American? See, this is what I was getting at with hands off on Ukraine, hands on with Taiwan, if it comes to that. Because to the average American, I'm not really quite sure. There's a lot of... I mean, of, I guess what value uh, it has to the Biden family. But what about for everybody else? You know, fertilizer, but I'm not sure how much of that we get from... from you. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I, there's, there's really very little. This is a European problem. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, all things being equal... Uh, forgetting for a moment that uh, Vladimir Putin is in uh, is just an evil man. Forgetting that from if it was any other country, and another superpower was attempting to make uh, Ukraine or a, a country on your doorstep into somewhat of a satellite-friendly state of that superpower, you would feel what 
you would feel threatened. And I keep getting the image of those German ambassadors at the United Nations laughing at Trump while he was predicting what happened with Russia and its mm. energy exports right now. My point is, they, we, the West created this problem. The West, in its, for a multitude of reasons, created this problem. I, I would say just, it, if I had my way, let it sort itself out. I think the truth is at stake. We the, people have no idea how badly we've been gaslit. We talk all the time on the show, like what actually is real, Steve. For a couple of years now, talking about we can't even talk about debate the news because we don't even know what the news is. I, I this is crazy voices in our head time. But listen, I really think it's what I meant about a lot of the world looks at Putin as a guy who may be able to sort through the BS. There's a lot of the world that's absolutely exhausted with America and Western civilization because of look at they, they, they know what we spam out into their culture. And if, if he, if Putin does find out Russia collusion, Ukrainian, um, to Trump, uh, getting, mm-hmm. um, uh, 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 impeached for it. Look, there's the hundred, the Biden family. If, if he goes in there, and this is uh, Geraldo Rivera opening Al Capone's vault, and it's full of stuff, and he's the guy that finds it out. That's a changing of the world order for Russia. All right. When we come back, some more follow-up questions as we attempt to have a rarity, an adult conversation about anything, but even more so when it comes to Ukraine. More in a moment. So if I understand the first half of this conversation properly, we have, we've, we've come to three conclusions. Number one, what my friend and former boss, Ted Cruz, tried to articulate in that video is the first real attempt at a compelling critical thinking argument we've seen for America's continued involvement in Ukraine yet. That's number one, right? Yes. Okay. However... That argument largely hinges on a subjective view of trying to read the minds of the people in Venezuela, Beijing, and Tehran, who, of course, have multitudes of their own issues that they're trying to, or, to deal with right now, including in the cases of Iran and China, increasingly frequent uh, uh, you know, uh, outbursts and incursions within their own uh, borders by an increasingly frustrated populace. Okay? Mm-hmm. So... Not on the not on the objective value of Ukraine to the average American, but the subjected value on what handing it over to Putin may may or may not do to embolden regimes that have their own issues. And in the case of, say, Iran, we have economically completely crippled unless, of course, Biden goes back on that. And in the case of China, is actually more economically crippled than we are right now and probably can't afford to have an all-out war with the U.S. from an economic standpoint any more than we could, right? Mm-hmm. So that so the best argument that we can come up with was the one that Ted did, but it's entirely subjective and not something that is quantifiable. And then thirdly, if it is indeed true that subjectively we cannot afford uh, to hand the to, to for for Putin to win there, then we're now asking the average American family to just have an open-ended conclusion of what it would take in or, in order for Putin to be delivered that defeat 
with nothing off the table then because if it's true that we can't afford to let Putin win, then we can't afford it's either true that's either true or it's not, mm-hmm. right? So if it's not, then how far do we are we we have to be willing to go to all, all the way then to make sure that that does not occur, right? So what we so far have found to be the only compelling attempt to be persuasive and critically think this through is entirely subjective and entirely open-ended without um, any true articulation of what achieving that objective would take. Do I have that right so far? I think so. And so in in his defense, whenever we implemented that thinking, in recent history, it's gone so well for us, right? In foreign uh, relations. <laughs> All right. We've got a few more questions we want to ponder. First, let me tell you about Rough Greens, because if you've got a family pet, you love that little puppy like we do our dog, Cap, and you want its health and happiness uh, to be a big part of your family as well. Unfortunately, the food that you're buying from the store, whenever it leaves the factory, is stripped out of a lot of the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that your pet needs. Same thing they do to the food that we eat as people. That's why we're taking so many supplements these days, and now there's one for your puppy. Uh, It's from our friends over at Rough Greens. You mix it in with your pet's food and restore all the good stuff missing from its diet. But you might be wondering, what if it doesn't work? What if my pet won't like it? Well, we'll give you the first 14-day Jumpstart bag to find out for free. You pay for the shipping, but the first bag is on us when you go to roughgreens.com, spelled R-U-F-F, by the way, roughgreens.com, or call them at 833-ROUGH-DOG. That's 833-ROUGH-DOG. All right, more questions here. True or false, Russia-Ukraine is a proxy war of Putin versus Soros slash the World Economic Forum. True. Aaron, is that true True. in your view? Okay. If that's true, then that brings me to the follow-up question. And boy, I would love to know what Ted's answer to that is. I don't know, but I'd love to know how he would answer that question. Do you think the United States, therefore, has an unconditional obligation to automatically assist a country threatened by what we perceive to be a rogue regime, regardless of that country's status? So we're dealing here with a kleptocracy that we cannot quantify its objective worth to the average American family. We know what it's worth to the Biden family or the Clinton family, but we don't know what it's worth to the average American family. We can't quantify that like we can a Taiwan, right? We don't know what that's worth. So we don't know what it's worth. We're agreeing that this is really Putin versus Soros and the World Economic Forum, which is really just Sunnis and Shias, but they're white. That's basically, you know, and their faces are uncovered. That's in a way, is that what we're talking? Really just Mm -hmm. warring, megalomaniacal, warring tribes like Sunnis and Shia radicals just with uncovered faces and the faces are white. Is that really what we're talking about here? Okay, because if we can't quantify its objective worth, then tell me. Does that mean now that any time what we define as a rogue regime threatens another country, we have an unconditional obligation as the U.S. to assist that country regardless of that country's status or worth to us? And then when should that obligation, therefore, be extended all the way to its dramatic conclusion of Americans on the ground in order to prevent the growth of that rogue regime's presence? How would we define that? It's funny. This is the question I realize that you writing these questions down again, a friend. This is the question I know you had already answered it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Of course not, Steve. No, this is not. this is the full circle question. Exactly. We're, we're ending where we began. Yes. yes. That, yeah. Um, the answer is no. 
there is a great strategic value, especially when we're talking about, let's just say one thing, specifically semiconductors. That was just one example of uh, something that Taiwan and, and 50 exports. of you have emailed me and said, why aren't we building our own damn semiconductors? That's I can't, a good point. It's a good question that I cannot answer for you, yeah. um, unfortunately. But yes. Soros and the World Economic Forum now. <laughs> Amen. Go ahead, Aaron. Finish your point. Yeah. So that's that's the logical conclusion. In uh, you know, if uh, if North Dogwood Republic is invaded by uh, Liechtenstein, uh, should we intervene with with that? Because uh, I don't know. Uh, they're uh, uh, exporting too many illegal cigarettes. What what is the line? Okay. What what is the line of demarcation? When it comes to us intervening and playing world's cop, okay, it's it's if we're going to do this in Ukraine, which as you noted has uh, no strategic value or at least none, or at least none that they've communicated to us beyond we must stop Putin. The, yeah. What what are we doing here? Especially when you consider, especially when you consider uh, the rest of NATO is doing like diddly squat compared to us. What, what are we doing? And take it from me, even after Iraq and the failures, as I said, I support, I, I'm saying everything I'm saying, and but my philosophy is, if you have means, I'm, I'm Spider-Man, where, where Peter Parker says to uh, Tony, why are you doing this? Because if, if you have the power to stop the bad guys and you don't, then it's on you. I mean, I, I, I believe in being the, the, the world's cop and saving those who can't save themselves when the time is right. I, I really, uh, institutionally, that's part of my fiber, but the, the None of this connects those dots. None of it to me. Number seven, were the freedoms of Americans more threatened by Putin or the state and federal governments here at home over the last 26 months? It's See, the latter. This is, like I said, with six and seven, this is where you're at. I know you're asking questions, but your questions are answered. I mean, yes, it is the latter, of course. Why does that matter? Because who the hell are, you know, we... We're falling apart here. Yeah. Yes. How the hell are we anybody's savior yeah, right now? That's exactly right. Yeah. It's. Why, first of all, I'm funding the very government industrial complex that put a mask to my face and, and, a, and a proverbial gun to my head over those 26 months. Yeah. I'm just I'm just funding them right back. I'm empowering them all the more. I feel like probably a, a wife who's married to a workaholic, you know, uh, I'd like a little attention over here. Yeah. Uh, could, could, could I could I have a little bit of uh, of love? And, you know, you're doing 15 other things, uh, you know, working three jobs and doing it. Could I have a little bit of attention? Please? It's one thing for the Russian people to rally around, around Stalin when the swastika is making its way to Leningrad and Moscow. Mm-hmm. That's, is that happening in, in our own country right now? Is, is Putin, are Putin's forces, no. is the Russian Confederation flag no. 100 miles outside of no. Washington, D.C., or even within 100 miles of our, of our no. you know, this, of our own seas at this point? Red Dawn is real, but it's not coming from Russia. It's coming from our own universities. Exactly. So, if that, so it's one thing to rally around Stalin because the swastika is making its way to Leningrad and to Moscow. It's another thing to rally around Stalin as he's locking down Leningrad and Moscow and for and, and experimenting on. You see my point? Yes. What what the hell do I want to align with these people against against to me what you that's where I that's why I started with what is Ukraine's value? Because we have to assert that before I decide that it's worth inviting Stalin to Yalta. If it's not that level of a, of a problem, then my real problem is Stalin. Mm-hmm. Fair? Yeah. Fair. 
was in 1934, 1932, who was a bigger problem to Europe, Stalin or Hitler? Stalin. Did the calculus change in 1938, 1939? We could certainly begin to make those kinds of arguments, could we not? Certainly can make those arguments in 1941, 1942, after France falls and most of Western Europe and England stands alone. Could we, see see my point? Of course. We're doing the calculus in real time here. I don't see how anyone, anyone can possibly claim they have, if you were awake at all the last 26 months, that our way of life is much more threatened by our own government than it is Vladimir Putin. I don't know how you could possibly claim otherwise, unless you're in on it. Number eight. Does the fact that we can even ask that question cast any doubt at all on any of the information that we are receiving on said conflict from any of those exact same exactly. sources. What is true? What is true? Who's telling us what's really going on over there? The same people who, the same Department of Defense that scrubbed the DMED data about how much the jab was killing soldiers? Right. Same, same, the same intelligence community that tried to orchestrate a friggin' coup with Hillary Clinton and MSNBC and CNN? Same people? You see my point? The same Zelensky who we all agreed was a kleptocrat 18 months ago. What's here's the one the, ironically, the one constant here is Putin. We know what he is. He's the one constant. Everything else, these are all variables. And so let's just send endless supplies of money to the variables. No one calls time out and says, I've got a few questions here first. Final question. What do we say to those who demand we defend our own borders before defending somebody else's? Ted, you're senator of a state that right now has a southern border, not far from where you live in Houston, that is at the complete mercy of drug cartels and human traffickers. Now, I think I know what he'd say. Well, I'm well aware of that, Steve, even more than you. And that's why I have been doing everything I could possibly do. I went down there last year when no one else would. Blah, blah, so, But I can't do anything about that given the current regime in power. I'm doing everything I can. But I can do something about Ukraine. To which I would counter, my friend, have you considered asking yourself at all? Because these are the questions my audience would like to ask you. Have you considered asking yourself at all why the same people you can't get to move to defend their own borders are anxious to defend Ukraine's? Are these the are these the right character witnesses when it comes to border security like anywhere in the friggin' world starting with their own backyards? You know what I'm saying? I'll stop there. Gentlemen, your thoughts. We got about three minutes here. Well, it's funny how th- there's the first eight questions and then there's that, which you could have started and ended with because we really don't need to go anywhere after that. You aren't there. The video is there. The invasion is happening. The how many, uh, I mean, they do a tally just week by week. The numbers are staggering of how many, 
uh, illegals are coming to this country. Na- as you said, national sovereignty is, you said it on the show last week, It no, nobody believes in it here in America. And you want us to believe that it's sacrosanct there? How? It may, it's it. It was a perfect way of doing this, the first aid in this, it all, which simultaneously make the first aid a moot point, but also s- sum them up in an alpha and omega way. We're not dealing with serious people here. There's a utter, there's a grift, there's a scam afoot of cosmic global proportions. Don't fall for it. No, that's an evergreen tweet right there. Uh, there's a, uh, a cosmic, uh, or there's a global scam of cosmic proportions. Um, I, the argument sounds good, sounds good until you think about it. And then it just becomes the best argument, yes. but not a good argument. I agree. That's kind of my conclusion. Um, it's disappointing, but he's one of, uh, of many over there. It's, it's easy I guess I'll give him the most slack I can with this. He's with, earned it. If we're, he's yeah. earned that. Yeah. Um, it's it's again human nature, human nature. It's easy, even out of the goodness of your heart, to give away other people's money. I think that's just what's driving most of this in Washington right now. I think it's some of it is the cocaine, Mitch. Uh, are we? Are, are we, is Hydra's uh, headquarters okay? I think the rest of this is just virtue signaling, giving away other people's money. I think that's, I think that's m- most of what it is. That's my final verdict too. After we discussed this for an hour amongst ourselves, is it is the best argument we've heard for this so far. But I don't believe it's a good argument. It's just the best of largely non-arguments or far worse ones. I think it is a legitimate fear of projecting any more weakness to our enemies. But I also think the absolute worst decisions are made by human beings, whether it's corporately as a nation state or individually within our own relationships, the worst decisions are made out of fear. If we cannot quantify what the individual objective worth of Ukraine is to us, then we can't really quantify whatsoever the value of retaining its sovereignty, therefore, is either. And therefore, we cannot quantify why it is worth any level of additional suffering and sacrifice for the American people, given all the other suffering and sacrifices that are being inflicted upon them at this particular moment. That's our verdict. What do you think? We're back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern. Do not miss today's overtime at blazetv.com slash dace, by the way. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.